Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Kristen Birchenall talks with Jake Rutenbar as we continue our series, Evolving Faith, Personal Stories of Spiritual Transformation. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Okay, Eastlake, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us today. I'm so excited to be continuing this series today. I have my good friend, Jake Rutenbar here with me, Eastlake fan favorite, definitely. Oh, that's, that's big, that's big praise, I'm not sure. Yes, um, I feel like I do need to tell you, Jake, that this, we're recording this in advance, mm-hmm. and this is supposed to play the day after my birthday. So I feel like you need to say happy birthday <gasps> to me. Hey, before we start today, <laughs> Kristen, I just want to pause and recognize you as one of the <laughs> kindest, most fun people in the world. And n- not only do I have no idea when in the future this is playing, but I don't know which of your birthdays it is, but happy day regardless. So yay you. You're welcome. I know your birthday, August 8th. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I am notoriously <laughs> bad at remembering friends' birthdays, but also I have a very memorable birthday. I turned eight years old on 8888. Eight. Yes, because Jake and I are both 1980 babies. We were born in the same year. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. so you're going to be turning 41 then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had our 40. That's a big year. Um, I also feel like I need to tell everyone at Eastlake that I prepped Jake ahead of time and said, this is going to be like an interview, which means you can't ask me questions. Yeah. Because <laughs> Jake is so... <laughs> good at asking people questions and being interested in our lives. And Jake, I love that about you. And you. I know that it's going to be uncomfortable for you to just be talking. We'll obviously interact. No, we'll but, make it all me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to make it all me. In fact, we've spent a little bit too much time on your birthday already. So <laughs> We have. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is that one of the things that, so since we haven't been meeting in person, there's different things that I've noticed that I miss And um, one of the things I miss is doing setup with you. Um, It's always like our time to like check in. We both have young daughters and um, we both talk about baseball. We like baseball. So I've just missed seeing you around. So I feel the same. I, um, yeah, this is really fun to be together and spend some virtual time together. And I'm honored to get to hang out with the whole Eastlake family in this way. But um, yeah, totally miss that as well. Okay, so, you know, we're doing this series about how your faith evolves. Yeah. And we've all been, we've been through like an organizational evolution, but this is time for us to kind of just hear how you have evolved and what um, a faith looks like for you now. So I'd love for you to start by just giving those who don't know you just a brief background of what was the faith tradition that you kind of were handed. We talked, we've talked about this with everyone that like, you're kind of, you're given, you're handed a worldview, a kind of a bunch of different traditions. One of them sometimes being a religious or faith tradition. So what was yours? So I grew up, you know, it's fun. I I talk about it in such different terms. Now, when I was a kid, all (laughs) I knew is that I grew up Christian. And by that, I knew that meant that we believed in Jesus. We were church attending. Um, my parents were really involved in what now I view as kind of a, a, an evangelical church. And, and even sometimes as I look back, what's funny is we never once wore the moniker evangelical. I even remember he- hearing about people in America who were evangelical and thinking, well, those Christians are crazy. That's not us. Um, but we were people who loved Jesus thought about and cared about others um, were deeply, I would even say like 
on the surface, we were loving and accepting of all people in the best ways we knew how to that, to that extent. Um, and then for other contexts, like I grew up going to a full-time Christian elementary school and middle school. I was at church twice a week for Sunday and midweek events for the majority of my life. Um, my parents ended up both uh, working at the church that we grew up in. I have each of my grandfathers was a minister. Um, so like we were around Christianity and had a comfort about like talking about faith and knowing and understanding the Bible. And I had anyway, that to paint a, a, a broad picture, I definitely grew up in, in the, in the Jesus game. Um, and then you were kind of on that path too, of having that be like a profession, yeah. so to say. Yes. Yeah. And I think I, I, um, I had a great experience in and around church and spirituality. And I think we'll get to talk about some of the questions I had. Um, but ultimately knowing and feeling that God loved me and loved people, um, I was like on board with whatever we needed to do to help other people wake up to that reality. Um, and I gained a lot of the benefit of following through on uh, healthy life steps that, 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 that faith like helped, helped me with. So um, I, I still begrudgingly started working at a church. I was always, I think this is what led me to Eastlake eventually. Uh, but I had similar kindred spirits around church ministry when I first started. But one of my really great mentors and friends was like, Hey, you should think about coming and working with high school students at our church and um, being on staff. And I was like, Oh, that's so nice. No way. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not that person. Um, and even that's an interesting, like, uh, it's an interesting thing to dive into what, you know, 20, 21, 22 year old Jake was thinking and feeling at the time. But ultimately what I thought was like, I still make too many sinful decisions and, um, that, that this is not a good idea. But ultimately my buddy was like, Hey, come try it for a year. We, we're going to help, like help care for teenagers who, need to feel loved and cared for by adults and, uh, you know, taught about Jesus's love. And I was really on board with that. And so that was kind of what brought me into this, this thing that became known as ministry to me. Um, but yeah, I spent nine years at the church I grew up in down there on staff in different roles and then, um, came directly from there to Eastlake. So we, um, my, my wife and I had grown up in California and worked at a church down there. And then 2012, we came up here and continued the ministry journey at Eastlake Community Church. Um, and yeah, so I ended up doing 15 plus years in full-time church ministry. I remember when we met you guys in California. Yeah. Because Sam was a baby. He was like crawling yep. around. Yeah. And now he's like, I don't He's 10 years old now. So, yeah, Sammy, Sammy was, he was born in 2010. And so, when we were in that interview process of kind of, it was kind of like a flirting process. The first time I yeah. talked to Ryan, it was like a conversation where he was like, I didn't know you were interested. And I was like, I didn't know you were interested. It was, I think, literally the phrasing we used with each other. So, um, that kind of kicked things off and super exciting time. Yeah. I feel like I resonate with what you said too. My, my church experience growing up was very positive. Yeah. It was fun and it felt very loving um, to me and about others yep. um, at the time. So it was very positive for me too. I, yeah. It's an interesting, it's really interesting to look through that lens now. And I say uh, knowing that like lots of people hear this, there's lenses from my childhood. I now look back on and say, oh, there was a lot that was hurtful to me and others that I, I no longer follow. Um, but I also know there's people who are journeying in and through and away from things that ultimately might not be helpful. And I think it's important. I think sometimes people on that journey hear people speak poorly of the past and they're like, I loved church as a kid, or I loved my youth group I was in, or, or there's still a lot I value. And I think sometimes we can create barriers for people by how we frame the past. And it's just like, for me, I disagree with some things about the past. And yet there was so much good. Like I had, I, I, I don't look back with any frustration or anger about it. 
Yeah. Ryan needs to talk about like transcend and include. Yeah. Um, like move forward, but also that all of that comes with you. And so there's no need to, you know, look back at it with such um, harsh feelings. And I remember also talking about an analogy of like a tree where like when you cut the tree, you see all the lines and that the like 15 year old Kristen is still a part of 40, almost 41 year old Kristen. Yeah. And so there's no need to like shame or, you know, yeah, I think that's but a big deal. I, th- I think that's a really <laughs> big deal. And I think that statement is really freeing first to to me to just go, it's okay. It's okay to look back on periods of my life I greatly disagree with or would mm-hmm. do totally differently um, and still look lovingly on myself. In the same way that it'd be crazy to look at a video of me crawling and be like, <sighs> such ugh, my, my form was so bad that's such bad crawling form it's like eh, it's cute it's like you're cute you're doing your best like it's so funny that we can do that with kids but like who agreed that 18 made us adults anyway or that like like wh- what are we talking about when when i'm 60 i hope to look at 40 year old jake and laugh like i laugh now at five-year-old jake and yeah. um anyway yeah that that freedom gives everything um, with, with me first and then to others a chance to just say like, eh, it is what it is. And, and what can we learn from it to, to grow healthier? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I think I do look back with a little bit of shame about the some of the things that I just wholeheartedly threw myself into. But I, I appreciate the reminder and I even just said it. Like there can't be shame when you look back like that. You just have to kind of include it as part of the growth process. It's good. Uh, yeah. I think, I think I agree that shame is not the right word to utilize there. Uh, obviously. Um, I, I, I like to add the caveat in a, in a full conversation. I think we'll get to some <laughs> of these topics later too, but um, there's a lot where if it's not shame and it might actually just be shame, but there's a lot I <laughs> wish I could have done differently or, or it had context on how to navigate differently. Yeah. Um, so I think obviously you're still a part of it. Like, so some things have shifted along the way. Yeah. Um, what were some moments where you, like I sent you that kid's book. Um, yeah. What were some moments where you started to notice, oh, I'm not sure if I feel that way or yeah. what were books you read or messages or conversations, things like that. Do you have a couple that come to mind? Excellent. Yeah, there were there were quite a few. I, one of the things I talk to about people, if, if people want to go down the well of like, hey, you used to work at church for a long time and you don't do that and you're an interesting person to talk to about spirituality. Most of my friends and people in my life have had that conversation with me and they're usually like, eh, let's talk about football. But um, <laughs> I think- Why? Because it gets uncomfortable? Um. Well, it probably just depends on my friends and the settings we're in to catch up. I think it's just, yeah. it's heavy. And I think either they're on the same page and we'll have some of those same conversations or they, I think if they're not spiritual and I really appreciate this with a lot of my friends, some of them just don't care. And I think getting into some <laughs> of the minutia of what I had to work out of and the story that Eastlake walked through, they're like, yeah, I, I got there too. Like uh, I, I read a couple books and I'm like, man, I went through a lot, <laughs> but I think you're right that we're in a similar place. Um, so, and then other friends don't want to wade into the difficulty of it. So like, okay, to an- answer your question too, one of the biggest things for me was any discussion around hell. Hell was, and still is massive to me and understanding and framing what spirituality is to me. And when I say hell, what I grew up understanding was every human, when they die on this earth, is going to spend eternity in one of two places. And this was taught to me from as long as I can remember. And that's either going to be in eternity with God in the presence of God, which is heaven. And heaven is eternal goodness, eternal fun, eternal positivity. Uh, there were like childlike imaginations around that for me. Um, 
and and there were also like biblical definitions that were were there that presented like what heaven is but heaven was good and really good and then there was hell and hell was a reality for people who did not choose to believe in and follow jesus and hell would be a physical place where the soul lasted forever in suffering and torment i learned about both locations throughout my life school parents conversations with family conversations with friends at church and i think looking through my lens now what i definitely knew was this even more than i wanted to go to heaven i did not want to go to hell and i i also in my life have realized a ton of my story has been driven by fear i would have never called it fear at the time i, I would have always called it wisdom or um, being thoughtful or being logical uh, being smart but in the journey around hell specifically it was always impossible for me to even consider not believing jesus not following what i knew to be true because doing so hung with like this immense consequence that hung in the balance and it's something still yeah. very very honestly and candidly and and covid has brought this up in fascinating ways for me but um those things still like haunt me and mess with me today this this uncertainty of of what happens after life i i tell people and we'll kind of get to this to not dovetail too hard but like the the benefit of believing in the system i used to believe in is i had such great certainty i slept so well i was the torment for me was and i caught this at a young age like i used to wake up in tears thinking about like friends in my neighborhood who don't go to church are gonna like my friends devin and bryson might go to hell forever in fact they likely will Best case scenario from what I learned in classes, it, it was literally taught to me like this. The good news is there's about 6 billion people on earth. And if we use, they would say this, this is fascinating. Uh, like even if we have a broad definition of Christianity to include Catholics, <laughs> that's fun. Um, about 2 billion people will likely be saved. The bad news is that means there's about 4 billion people whose lives, if we don't impact them, are going to be spent in eternity in separation from God. That was the driving force for everything I knew to do in ministry. That was, that was why it was worth it to take a job at a church. That was why it was worth it, even though I had questions if I was good enough to jump on board if people said yes. That was why, um, and it was why I cared about Ultimately, I was just a person who loved to have a lot of fun and empathize and care for people. And a lot of yeah. that worked in ministry because I would listen to where people are. I spent a lot of times listening to people for hours on end and look at them and just go, I don't think you're crazy. And give them a hug and say like, <laughs> there's, and by the way, the Bible's loaded with like great wisdom. So it's not hard to like point to something and be like, it seems like trying this would be really great. Yeah focus on patience and focus on kindness and focus on others. And it sounds like you're being pretty focused on you. And <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, remember when you thought I might ask too many questions to you and now we're just, <laughs> we're really running no. now. So anyway, hell was a really, really big thing for me. And um, to, to kind of wrap that, once I, uh, there was a documentary called Hellbound that I watched and some other books that I read that just even opened up the possibility that there were other ways that Christians have historically thought about the afterlife or how people in Judaism thought about the afterlife. I was flabbergasted. I was pissed. <laughs> I was in shock. And it, it reframed my ability to ask any question about how I view almost everything in my spirituality because without a potential hell uh, that is like physical torment existing there, that's really the only place a conversation about real faith can begin. Hmm. When, do you remember when that was that you saw that? That would have been 2000, end of like 2013, 
2014, mm-hmm. right in right in there. Those were conversations okay. I was having with friends at Eastlake. I used to meet in like men's groups on Thursday morning with a bunch of guys <laughs> that I loved in like downtown Kirkland. And um, we were reading books like Speaking of Jesus by Carl Medeiros was just awesome for me. That, that one was fun because I always had this idea couple of ideas. Tell me if I'm going too annoying with some of these illustrations. When I thought about Jesus, I realized I had too much of an idea. I was taught before I jump ahead that Jesus was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. This was a phrase that we used in, in my, my flavor of Christianity all the time. And it spoke to the uniqueness of who the person of Jesus was, that he was entirely God and this was outside of human understanding, but somehow he was entirely God, but also was entirely human. And that that spoke to his divinity and it spoke to his ability to live in this world so that when he died, it was a, this, this perfect sacrifice that like atoned for sin. If you don't know that stuff, <laughs> be well. <laughs> don't, you're good. Um, anyway, when... One of the questions I had was, oh, I've spent so much time knowing that, but I've always had a lot of questions around Jesus's humanity that messed with me. Like, for instance, if Jesus was entirely God, then like Jesus at two had to know everything, speak fluent language, be fully, like, could Jesus not catch a ball? when his brothers or dad threw it to him because he's God. <laughs> so these are questions, like you're thinking about this stuff. Dude, I've thought about this my entire ago. life, <laughs> but these questions were coming back to me in this season with a little less fear behind them. And, and they were very real. So it was like, um, if it, it was in my, for my weird experience, it was really helpful because I'd even take it a step beyond that to get like, so that means like Jesus in the womb had to have had f- complete knowledge or, or if not, at some point the divinity wasn't there and fully was realized even in a human child. Now, I'm sure there's somebody who <laughs> believes uh, kind of what I grew up believing who could tell me where I was wrong and crazy as far as how they see it. But to me, these were very unique questions that helped me flush something out. There was no math that allowed Jesus to be entirely God and entirely human. What we had was this evolving, for me, discovery of what the text was. And and to me, honestly, Jesus, although many things changed about how I view Jesus, Jesus became more impressive when I thought about the life that he lived when he was no longer a magic deity who, who had to do these things. There was, there was no other option than for Jesus to be perfect. The idea that Jesus could have lived the life he did when having the same options I had yeah. is crazy. That's crazy. And in fact, it really challenges me to live a lot different because I always found there was a, a Christian cop out to be able to be like, you know, what, what would Jesus do? But realistically, you can't do, you can't even make it through the day without screwing up in a hundred different ways. And supposedly Jesus screwed up in zero ways ever. <laughs> so it, it was like a failing proposition to follow Jesus in some ways. Um, but the ultimate like great model. Anyway, these, these were things that were falling away as my understanding of the Bible, my understanding of hell, my understanding of the the personhood and deity of Jesus was, was, being at least thrown into the mix of questions to discuss. I, it's so different for me because I did not, I think I had like a few things that I questioned along the way when I was a kid, but I was like, my personality was like, give me the answers. I'll memorize them and move ahead. And so I, um, I appreciate talking to a questioner um, cause that's not necessarily me. It's well, I mean, a place like East is fun because sometimes you think you're a questioner and then you meet other questioners and you're like, oh no, that's a, that's a real <laughs> question. So I, um, we had that in my marriage with my wife, Erin, Erin didn't grow up, um, as ingrained in church culture and uh, 
Bible knowledge as I did. So there were so many things where I'd come home and be like, I can't believe what we talked about today or this book is blowing my mind. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't, it's, it's not a big deal. I'm like, what do you mean it's not a big deal? This is, this is everything. If, if this is true, then, then this is how we frame the Bible or this is how we, and she's like, it's just not a thing for me. And, and that was actually very helpful as well because what I was freaking out about, I realized like I had siblings who grew up in the same home as me who didn't interpret their spirituality the same way I did. And I was like, got it. There were other people who grew up in the same church as I did who didn't grab onto things the same way I did. And ideas like, oh, we've each developed our own interpretation of these things along the way is was really helpful because I'm like, yep, I'm on my own journey to to parse this stuff out. So as you're starting to like these you said these questions are kind of reappearing. Yeah. Um do you remember like what did that feel like? Do you remember, did it feel like freeing? Did it feel scary? Did it feel like? There was a, there was a, there was an excitement. I'm so thankful that Eastlake provided. And by Eastlake, I mean a group of people. Like I really like clarifying that. Like I'm thankful that I had a group of friends who were normal people who were having these types of discussions with. And it was exciting because there, there was like tangible walls that were coming down in friends' minds when we'd get together and talk. And that was true whether we worked on staff together at Eastlake or we had breakfast once a month or we'd see each other on Sunday and go grab a beer. Um, there were just a, a whole community of people kind of walking through uh, e- evolving spirituality. And also how it felt was terrifyingly scary uh, abundantly sad. Um, Wait, tell me about that. Okay, for me, I think the sadness was how much of my life was changing. Like, my life was totally connected to my Christianity in, in every way. Since I was five years old, if you asked me about who I am, being a Christian would have been the first thing I said, even before like saying my name. <laughs> I remember, I remember like watching the LA Dodgers win the World Series in the late '80s, and Oral Hirschheiser starting interviews and being like, "I want to give thanks and praise to my Savior Jesus Christ." About a question about like how how was the game, Oral? <laughs> and my parents like stopping to be like, "This is it." Like that's that's it. That's like what. By the way, my family cares a lot about sports, so I'm I've told you the story about when I met Oral Hershiser, right? <gasps> we need to talk about that. I don't <laughs> think I know your Oral story. I'm very excited. So, Buck Showalter and Oral Hershiser together. What you definitely did yeah. not tell me this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This Later. this call is going to keep going at the end. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, sad. Like I was just sad at how things were changing. I think. I think I saw the writing on the wall. I think there were some that were like, we're going to change and this is going to stay the same. And I was of the mindset, like, this is going to change everything and it's not going to stay the same. And I mm-hmm. think that was because of my proximity. And, and even there were times, you know, for all of um, like, one of the things that Ryan and I connect, like why I connect with Ryan when he, when I first looked into Eastlake is like, he grew up in and around church as well. And there's a unique like understanding of growing up as a pastor's kid of what church culture is like. There's an interesting like education that you're always getting to hear messages and people speaking. And, and there's also just like, you know, the behind the scenes culture of a giant group of people and how that can move and sway. And I was watching the whole thing going, this is going to change everything like these. And that, that was before we got into heavier topics of, of mm-hmm. how Eastlake and, and individuals evolved. So I was sad there. Um, and then the, the scared comes in as well when I think like, and I felt this for like my family and um, there was one going back to hell. Like I was still just terrified that I could be wrong. <laughs> And I still hold that. In fact, it's one of the things I love about Eastlake so much 
and I continue to lift up is a mindset that has always led with, I could be wrong. I love saying that to people now. If there's people who are really scared about where I am spiritually, I'm like, look, I'm, I hope to be alive for a while still. And if there's things that could like show me that I'm way off base in what I think or believe, like I'm, I'm open to see it. Not in a way that's like blind or like, I have no idea. I'm at ground zero of all thought, <laughs> but um, I want to stay open. Like I really desperately want to stay open to new ideas, evolving thoughts. And um, that being said, my background leads me in, in, in like old school demons of what happens after you die. Fear of like, if I'm wrong, the potential cost, my childhood says is immense. So like that mm-hmm. messed with me a lot. Um, but then I just lost a lot of relationships. Like I, I think, mm-hmm. and some of them weren't even really close, but I live my life in a way as a pastor and as a lifelong good church kid that like people loved me. I almost said that sentence (laughs) without pausing to laugh at myself, but I'm trying to be as honest as I can with this. I had a lot of people who loved me and I legitimately like loved them back. And they saw me as somebody who represented their faith in some way. So I was a person who believed what they believe was still normal, made mistakes like them, loved to joke like them, cared about growing in this faith tradition, but also didn't take it too seriously. And suddenly I let a lot of people down. And some of those people were direct and letting me know I let them down. And others were, um, it was just my perceived assumption that I had let them down and hurt them. So anyway, yeah, that's where the weight of change was for me, for sure. I mean, there was part of the role of being a campus pastor at Eastlake through transition, especially when we jump to like LGBTQ inclusion. Part of the way the role was set up was like Ryan would share the message of what's there as a church and and do a much better job than I could ever do. Um, But then my role on the ground was to sit and meet with the people of our community and like talk with them and, and really let them emote what they were thinking. And a lot of people were thinking, this is crazy and it's gone too far and we're really mad. And they might've been really mad at Ryan and they might've been really mad at the church and they might've been really mad at whatever, but I was the one sitting there for a lot of them. And I think it, it did take me and continues to take me like good work to like flush, flush all that out. Yeah. Well, I think people, it's absolutely true. People do love you and trust you and talk to you. Um, so I know you had so many conversations about this kind of evolution and they can be uncomfortable. That's for sure. Yeah. I think, I think to stay healthy in that role and I, and I did do my best to stay like really connected and be to everything I knew at the time. I think it was important to be like, I just really loved the people. So even people who were like vehemently mad, frustrated, I I, and there were times I'd be like, man, that was so frustrating. I, I, I had, I had people who like used to be on East like staff who confronted me and they're like, I know that you, there's no way you believe this stuff. Like, I know you're just like going along. So you just have to keep your job right. Or, um, Hmm. there's no way you actually think this. And, um, yeah, those are just tough. Like those are, and that was happening a decent amount. (laughs) So when I sent you this kid's book. Yeah. And I told you kind of what it was about. Did you resonate with like the neighbors? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, I mad. loved it. I, I'm not joking, getting great. I, I read it when you sent it to me initially, which was a, a couple months ago. Yeah. And I picked it back up, getting ready to read for night. And I was reading it and I was a little bit like, I've never heard of this book. Is there any way that like you or like Peter Gad secretly like wrote this book? And this is just <laughs> a, a book that we came up with internally. But um, no, it was yeah. a, a really beautiful like picture of what I've experienced, I think. 
Hey Eastlake, Peter here. Thanks so much for tuning in to watch this message. I wanted to do just a quick interruption to say thank you to so many of you who are making regular contributions to Eastlake. Eastlake is a nonprofit and everything that we do is because of a community of consistent and generous people who really believe in this place and want to see it continue. So uh, if you're a part of that community, thank you for how you make this place go. If you are tuning in regularly and are part of this community, but you haven't yet um, jumped in to making a financial contribution, we would encourage you to do that and encourage you to go to eastlakecc.com to help support Eastlake as a community and continue to make these messages possible. Thanks so much for uh, letting me interrupt your message. Let's jump back in. Um, so where, like, where do you feel like you're at now? And I know that's like a big question, yep. but I think like, well, I guess first, let me ask you about those conversations. Um, the one question that I think about is now years kind of years since then, um, how would you, like, what would you say as you reflect on those conversations? What was like your way of approaching them? And do you feel like that's how you still do it now or would do it now? I'm thinking of people who are listening to this yeah, who that's a great question. still have those conversations yeah, of people really being like, great. you don't think that, you know, or and not necessarily even about spirituality, but there's a lot of like tense conversations right now. So how, what have you learned about going into conversations like that? I, I would want to, if I had the ability to go back to Jake having those conversations years ago, I'd want to like whisper in my own ear, which old me would appreciate future me coming to me to do this <laughs> and say, you have done so much therapy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not enough. Oh, I um, so appreciate but it. I would want to tell myself like, you're doing a good job. That's a really hard conversation. And I think as I hear mm -hmm. myself say that my old me would be like, would laugh and smile and recognize, right. Yeah. I think we have this, what am I going to do? Convince somebody who's like borderline yelling at me in a conversation or like bubbling with anger because, because their parents told them they would go to hell if they don't believe this. And I'm supposed to like, it just gave, it just want to give myself space. And then the next thing I would say, especially to transfer to others is it's not your job to change people's minds. So one of the beautiful things that like, um, Eastlake and, and not even Eastlake, my, my old ministry life taught me this is you don't have to sell anything. Just tell your story. No one can ever mm -hmm. argue with your story. So if you're in the game of convincing somebody, mm -hmm. one that assumes that you know that you're right. So that's not a great place to be when you're trying to change <laughs> minds. Um, yeah. so coming in ready to listen ready to like legitimately hear them out and, and, and listening for their fears probably that they have there mm -hmm. and balancing that with what you know about them. So when I talked to friends and they were like really concerned about where the church was going, I would balance it out by being like, we've also had this conversation about your family member that's gone through this. So I already know that I already know what you think about when people fall outside of exactly what the Bible says in your mind or or how you interpret life to be, you already had like broken some of those boundaries. So what are we talking about again? Like it, it, we have, we just gone a bit too far in that. Okay. You're allowed to say that I've maybe gone too far. It's weird that other people, I, I used to always love to say this to people who were leaving, like leaving Eastlake frustrated. I wanted them to know you loved Eastlake at a point where other people already thought you'd gone way too far and were going to hell because of it. And it was interesting that now you joined the people who felt like others had gone too far. Um, but also yeah. I had some, I had some grace for that too. Cause there's people who yeah. continue to try things that I'm like, that looks interesting. And I don't think I'm ready for that. And part of that's like <laughs> yeah. my own, I'm like, Ooh, I got my own stuff to work through still. Some of that's good. And other yeah. parts I'm just like, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm loving my life. I'm good. So anyway, that, those would be my thoughts. Yeah. Um, okay. So then where, like I, I was, I've been asking everybody, like at the end of the book, this plumbing character 
is like looking at his house and he just loves it. My house is me and I am it and it looks like all of my dreams. So I wanted to ask you like, where are you at now? And do you love it? Does it look like what you would dream up for yourself? It's kind of a loaded question. But. No, fun question. I guess, I guess being the good question asker, I strive to be the, the beautiful thing would be to like, look at me like, absolutely. I now am living the dream life. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think I'd categorize it more to say I'm very happy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just really happy. And it's fun that the story is about a neighborhood. Cause I think what was true when I was to f- trying to flush out Christianity is still true. Now, whatever, thought, belief, theology is important in the world, it has to be rooted in and around people. And Mm -hmm. that to me is a concept that's like transcended into my new way of looking at the world. And the, the physical neighborhood has always been like the clearest way for me to see that like fleshed out. So how do I feel? I friggin' love my neighborhood. I love the people I live around. My wife is the like kindest, best person in the world. My kids are amazing slash drive me crazy. And, and <laughs> I, they see me at my worst every day and still love me. Um, it is, it's like in a, an evolving, an evolving dream. Let's go there. Dream is funny because we have this idea of like a dream being a singular picture of a good thing. It is like a dream and that like every night something brand new and crazy is there. And that's what I feel about like my life. Every day <laughs> is brand so new true. and crazy. And, and, and if I'm slow enough in that given day, I just look around. I'm like, this is way, way too good. I'm way too grateful. So I, um, I still, especially through like a pandemic and not having the sanity, like I've had to do like actual work and be on medication for like how anxiety flushes out in my life. I didn't used to have that anxiety flush out the same way, but I also had a lot of things I was like conveniently ignoring in my life as well. <laughs> so I don't feel, I feel like great peace about that. And if one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for this is how I hold God is so different from how I viewed God as a kid. And and I don't even use, I, I use God as a term only for the sake of this conversation. I don't like pray to God or even talk to God, or I don't, I don't know what God is, if God's a thing. But if there is God, and God's on the other end of this, God's whispering just like I was in that example, like, hey, you're doing a great job. You doing, you're doing okay? You having fun? Like you, you're enjoying all the things around? Um, so I just feel like a great sense of peace. And that's, um, anyway, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I love that. I, it's interesting. So do you, like, when you think about God, do you think, like, what do you think of? Do you, did your mind immediately go like, oh, I don't believe, I don't think that way anymore. Or does it try to change it into. A couple of years ago, I, (laughs) it's been an evolution of things. The first thing, the first thing I learned to tell people was. It's easier for me to tell you I don't believe in God than for me to describe what I believe in because I'd rather, kind of in the way that that Eastlake and Ryan would position, like, it's better if you assume it's worse than you think. And that way, your greatest fear is, like, you're closer to the truth by it's worse when you're assuming it's worse than you think than thinking, oh, maybe it's not that bad. I felt the same. I was like, what is God? The first thing I think of, like, I definitely don't think God's a being. I definitely don't think God has fingernails and I definitely think like people referring to God as a male, like kills me. I, 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 it, it, it made sense for so long and now bothers me so greatly. And, um, but I'm also like, okay, great. So God way more feels like uh, the idea of God being all of the universe is if someone's like God's the universe, I'd probably be, go to them like while I'm snacking on a 
freaking McDonald's burger and be like, yeah, great. <laughs> I that's great. It certainly tastes like it in this McDonald's cheeseburger. <laughs> God's definitely in this. It's delicious. Um, or God is energy. Absolutely. Like, yes. Um, I, I think probably the one that makes the most sense to me still is like that God is actually like what love is. Like what what is love, this feeling, this concern we have for each other, for the things around us that that, and again, there's smarter people than me could be like, oh yeah, what you're talking about actually is energy or you're talking about the universe or you're talking about stardust that is great. <laughs> I, I, I think for me, the thing is like, it's just become un, uninteresting. Hmm. I, I still have a little bit of childhood fear that somebody in my past just heard me say that and be like, God is uninteresting. Like enjoy hell for sure. I, hmm. I just don't know. It's just so big. I'm, what I one of the things I do like clinging to is there's still memories I have of very intense interactions I had with God. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. I don't like fight those. I don't think they were wrong or false. I even though I don't have like terms to describe it or ways to like look into it, I I think there's something that exists bigger than us that is uh consciousness awareness i don't know but then these terms get annoying to me too because then we sound like a bad saturday night live skit and it's like (laughs) we are the ground of all be the ground of all being if god likes the title the ground of all being he he she needs (laughs) um well i think that's one of the problems with spirituality is that it's in my opinion by nature it's not something you can speak or write clearly. And so that's the struggle. And that's also why Isaac exists because we're trying our best. We're making these attempts to like describe how we see it or how we feel it or what that means. And it's so hard to do. And I think that's that language is such a hard part of this, but it's all that we have. Right. And that part helped Isaac helped me specifically with that in just you can get so into the weeds of dissecting, analyzing. It, it is like, I like, what is God? God's like a beautiful flower. And if, if we get into dissection of like what petals are or, mm-hmm. or like what is or isn't technically a flower, I'm like, hold on. Like, let's just look at this thing. I'm not sure I love this flower analogy, by the way, but just kind of <laughs> go with me. <laughs> okay. The point is um, being like, it's beautiful. Something that's beautiful yeah. is like, where I see God being. So So you touched on this a little bit with like neighborhood and stuff like that, but do you have like what practices, what makes up your spirituality kind of in your life now? Is it just, is it just your worldview? Yeah. Is that spirituality for you? I do not have, I think I, I I think I initially lived with some guilt when I first was like leaving, working at Eastlake and, I was like, man, I really need to make sure and like keep up some of these routines so that, um, and legitimately, like I didn't want my, my entire spiritual life to be connected when I was working and being paid for like by a church. Um, but all that to say my routines have like drastically shifted. I mean, I used to wake up and read the Bible and pray like majority of mornings. And then that really shifted to where, I talk to God, but talk to God very differently. And how I engage with the Bible became totally separate. Like it was still something I was, I was pulling away more and more from it, but it was still something I could go to and, and pull a lot of like encouragement or wisdom out of. Um, what are my practices? My education practices are around learning from people, especially like I'm most focused on being like present to myself and my family. So mm-hmm. people like Brene Brown, are like the most important things I can think of. (laughs) Like she's teaching me how to think selflessly, to think vulnerably first, to think others first, uh, but others first in a way that still takes care of myself. So anyway, (laughs) that's really helpful for me. Prayer, I I don't pray a lot. I, and some of this is like, 
I, I think to go back to like, some of this is weakness. Some of this is like my own not being where I want to be. I just admitted I eat McDonald's, so I, I don't have a problem admitting I'm not where I want to be. Um, but I think I like the idea of a Jake who spends more time in meditative, quiet practice. But I'm also like being really kind to Jake right now because he's been at home for almost like a year and a half with four kids from high school to three years old. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a little bit in a routine too. Where like, I'm just over criticizing and judging myself for stuff. And so some yeah. stuff might change. I might, I might pray more in the future. I might look yeah. back and be like, oh yeah, what you were doing was praying in some way. Um, <laughs> but I definitely, definitely not in the way I used to. So in the way I kind of said yeah. before, like, it's easier to say like, no, I don't than to think about it. But um, probably the most spiritual thing I do is I will go for walks and I will listen to music, any music, not Christian worship music. Um, but what that does to my to my soul, to my spirit, whatever that is. And even that terminology, I, I'm only using that because I'm talking to you, but like what it does for the me inside of the skin and bones of me is crazy. Like I can't define it by science. It makes me feel alive. It makes me feel excited. I get creative. I start coming up with ideas and music gets me outside of my day to day. So anyway, those are some things I do and Netflix. Love it. <laughs> yeah, when I subscribe to every streaming opportunity. <laughs> um, okay, well, as we, like, as you've thought about this and talking and putting this out there for East Lakers to listen yeah. to, is there anything that I didn't ask that you were thinking along the way about where you've been and where you are now? No. No, this is great. Yeah. Like, I... I um, I think I just, I think I just care about the people who are like sitting watching this. I, I think I, I get excited thinking there's people who like, Eastlake is really spread out. I know there's people who are like in other parts of the country who've never like attended an Eastlake service live. Um, and that's crazy that you're watching this and I'm like legitimately like so grateful for you that you spend time to like sit and watch this thing specifically me. No, just kidding. Um, like that you engage with this and care about this is such a beautiful thing to see this like living on and being reminded how many people this is a really great thing for. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just happy to be part of the family, happy to continue to see where this thing goes. And um, yeah. Thanks, Jake. This is Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.